This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning's reading of God's holy and good word comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation And he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to gather together to worship you. We thank you that we know that as we gather that you're faithful to meet us here, that you're faithful to to fulfill your promises, to grow us, to shape us, to meet our needs to love us, to draw us near to yourself. So we come to you this morning with expectation and and trust and pray that you would increase our faith, increase our trust in you even this morning as we we gather. Uh, Lord, we know that you are faithful even when we are faithless. We know that you are constantly providing for us and caring for us. But we also know that you've asked us to uh, bring our, our needs and our petitions to you. So we do that this morning. Lord, we pray for those this morning who are struggling, who are hurting, who are, uh, whether that's with, with physical illness or uh, mental or social difficulties or whatever the case may be, Lord, we pray that you would meet those needs. Those who are here in this room, of those who are listening online, of those who are uh, just family members and friends and neighbors of those of us who are here. God, we pray that you would meet needs and give comfort where comfort is needed. You are such a good and gracious God. You are so close to us, and I pray that you would make us aware of that in this moment, this morning. Lord, as it's Memorial Day weekend, we want to pray for those who have lost loved ones in the line of duty, who have uh, given their lives uh, for the sake of this country. Lord, we thank you that we live in a place where we do have freedoms, where we can freely gather to worship you. We praise you for that and recognize it for the blessing that it is. So, Lord, we pray that you would be with those families who have lost those 
in those situations this morning. God, we pray for uh, the rest of this morning as, as the word is preached. God, we pray that, that what you want me to say would come across, that your Holy Spirit would apply the word to our hearts, that you'd show us those areas where we fall short of what you desire for your people, that you would build us up and encourage us and remind us of the grace that we so desperately need every day. Lord, I pray that we would walk out of this place knowing you better, desiring more fully to live lives that please you, and understanding that it's only by your grace and by your mercy that we can even uh, hope to do those things. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and lifted up in all that's done here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So our wisdom... And as far as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Those are the very first lines of John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. If you know who John Calvin is, you know he's one of the most influential uh, theologians in history, and this is his magnum opus, his, his, his big theological work, and he says... That wisdom consists of us knowing who God is and knowing who we are. And that is something that often I think we think we've got it. We understand that. Especially if you've grown up in the church or been in the church for a while, you think, I know who God is. I understand that. I understand myself. I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand all these things that I need to know. But often our actions betray that we don't get it at a deep enough level. Because our actions show what we really believe. The centurion's action in the story that we just had read to us show that he really believed in who Jesus was and he understood who he was. So I believe that a proper understanding of Jesus and his authority and a proper understanding of our own unworthiness in light of Jesus' worthiness That should lead us to a response of faith. It should lead us to the point where our actions match up with what we say that we believe. So we just heard the story read, but I want to make sure that we understand what happened in this, because we're just going to kind of take the whole thing all at once. And what happened is we've been in the Sermon on the Mount over the last several weeks. Jesus has just finished teaching his disciples and the crowds that have come around, and now he's come down. He's heading into town, and he's still got the crowds with him. And as they're going, this group of Jewish elders comes up and says, Jesus, there is this man, this centurion, whose servant is on his deathbed, and he needs you to heal him. And he is a good guy. We love him. He is better than all these other centurions, all these other other guys that, that aren't so nice to us. This guy deserves to have you heal his servant. So Jesus goes. He starts walking toward the centurion's house. And as he's going, another group comes, the centurion's friends, and they say, listen, we know that you're coming, and the centurion wanted us to say that he understands who you are. He understands that you have the authority and the ability to heal his servant, but he says, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just say it. I understand the authority. Just say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. And then we read that Jesus marvels at this. And he tells the crowd, and as, 
as the centurion's friends go back, they find that the servant had been healed. Jesus had shown compassion. Church, we have a lot to learn from the centurion's response and how he acted based on how, what he knew of Jesus and what he knew of himself. So the first thing that he did is the centurion understood authority. First, we need to know what a centurion is. It just drops it in there, making an assumption that we're going to know. Centurion is a Roman soldier uh, who had command over 100 other soldiers. Think century, 100 years, centurion, 100 soldiers. This was the highest rank that any uh, Roman soldier could hope to achieve. These centurions were well thought of. They had authority. They had power. They were often wealthy. They were well-respected. Their word had to be listened to. Those hundred soldiers had no choice but to do what the centurion said. He had authority over them. And that's another word that we often get messed up. Uh, either we, we don't really understand authority or we kind of make up our own interpretation of it. Um, but authority is when someone actually has the right to make decisions, and the people under that authority have to follow those decisions. Authority has nothing to do with you agreeing or disagreeing with or liking or disliking what those decisions are. It means that that person has the right to make those decisions and have those decisions be followed. So in verse 8, when the centurion says to Jesus, I too am a man under authority, he's recognizing I understand my authority over these hundred soldiers. And Jesus, I recognize that you also have authority, but he recognizes that Jesus' authority is different. It's a higher authority. I think that as Americans, we tend to not really like authority. We like authority that we want to like. When somebody tells us that we have to do something or not do something, there's something in our guts that just pushes back against that. Like, no, I am the master of my own fate, my own destiny. I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm going to follow the rules that I want to follow. Whether or not the person actually has that authority and we should obey. And the problem is, if we're not careful, what can happen is that view of authority that's kind of subjective, I obey when I want to obey, it can slip into our view of Jesus's authority. And we can start to think, does Jesus really have the right to tell me what I should or shouldn't do? Does Jesus really have the right even to forgive? Does Jesus really have the right to judge me when I sin? We have to be careful on how we understand what authority is and who has it. This is Memorial Day weekend. We should spend some time thinking about those people who have sacrificed their lives for the sake of their country. Those men and women who did that, they had a different understanding of authority. They knew that there was somebody over them who had the right to command them and tell them to go and do something, and they had to do it. They may not have always liked or agreed the thing that they had to do, but they did it because they understood authority and they understood their position within authority. And our centurion, in our story, he understands it like that. He understands that all those soldiers who were under his command, they had to obey him, like it or not. But he also understood that his authority had limits. Now his servant is sick. It says it's this servant that he cares. He was useful to him. He cared for his servant. He didn't want him to die. But there's not a thing that he could do about it. Powerful and influential as he was, 
His authority didn't extend that far, but he recognizes that Jesus's does. Where his authority has limits, Jesus's authority extends to life and death. Now, in the Old Testament, a lot of times they'll use, and and even some in the New Testament, they'll use phrases that are on opposite ends of a spectrum. So, life and death, or, uh, you know, where it says that Jesus, or our sins are cast as far as from the east is from the west. We talk about height and depth. It means those two far extremes, and it means everything in between. It's something that's meant to show the expanse and the fullness of what that thing is. So when we say that Jesus has authority over life and death, yes, it means life and death, but it means all in between. So the centurion's authority had limits, but Jesus's didn't. The other thing that the centurion understood is that authority comes from somewhere. Authority is given. So our president, our elected officials, all of them, they have authority because they've been elected, because they've been put into power. It's not inherent in and of themselves just because of who they are. Even a king A king has authority because he was born into the right bloodline. It's not just because there's something particularly special about him. That's why there's good and bad uh, monarchs. There's a reason they were put into that authority. Uh, A commander in in the military has authority because that authority has been given to him. Not just because he happens to be an intimidating person and people just happen to follow. So when the centurion talks about Jesus' authority, he, talks, he says, I too am a man under authority. And that's kind of a weird way to phrase it for us. Because if I were to say it, if you were to say it, we'd probably say, I'm in authority. So I have this authority over whatever the sphere is. Whether it's your family, whether you're a manager at work, whatever. I'm in authority over these people. But the centurion says he's under authority. Because he recognizes that that authority has been given to him. It's not inherent to him. The Roman Empire, which was this mighty and powerful empire at the time, they were the ones who had had said, okay, you have authority over these hundred soldiers. So now those soldiers know that when the centurion says something, it's not just him. It's not just this influential guy that they might even happen to like. It's the entirety of the Roman Empire behind him. And that is why they have to listen. That is why they have to obey. In Matthew 28, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, just before he gives the great commission and sends his disciples out to do what he wanted them to do, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We might think, how was it given to Jesus? Jesus just has authority, right? Remember, Jesus is fully man. He's human. He is also fully God. That's one of the great mysteries of the faith. Jesus is fully man and fully God. And as man, he had that authority given to him by the Father. So as he walked on the earth, as he healed, as he forgave, he is healing and forgiving and doing all of these things he does with divine authority that has been given to him by the Father. Yes, he's God. And that authority as as the eternal uh, Son of God has always been his, but as man, it's been given to him. Now, his authority is a little bit different in the fact that it doesn't fade. It doesn't go away. It's not limited in the ways that ours is. See, I have four kids, and whether they like it or not, I make the rules. They live in my house, my rules. If I tell them they have to clean their room, they have to clean their room. When they don't clean their room, 
They have to deal with the discipline that I give them. It's just the way it is. They don't have to like it, but that's the way it is. It also means that if they've been disobedient for a solid week, and I'm super frustrated with them, yet I still decide to take them out for ice cream and show them grace in that way, I can do that. That's how Jesus' authority is. He's been given authority over all heaven, all earth. He gets to make the decisions. We deal with those decisions, whether we like it or not. And that's important, because we live in a time where people think, I've got my authority, you've got your authority. It doesn't work like that. It's not Jesus is our authority, Muhammad is their authority, or Buddha, or whoever. Jesus' authority extends to all. Like it or not, agree with it or not, he is king over all. Now for us, as the church, we're people who who should know that. We should understand that. And our question this morning is, do I really believe it? Do I really believe he has authority to forgive, to instruct, to heal, to judge? If we understand it, if we believe it, it affects how we live, it affects what we do. Do you understand all that Jesus' authority covers? See, the centurion did. That's why he responded the way he did. That's why he did what he did. But at the same time, remember Calvin said, wisdom is knowing who God is. It's also knowing who we are. And it's understanding his own unworthiness. This is something that I think that we're not always great at, is understanding Uh, our our worth, where we're at. And we live in a world that wants to constantly reinforce a wrong understanding of it. Anybody ever done an exercise video, or at least you've seen one, and you know they're constantly going to tell you, you're worth it, get this, keep doing it, you're worthy, you're good. And that's just one place of thousands where we're told over and over again, you are worth it. In yourself, you're good, you got it. It's a wrong view of what it is to be worthy. Now, that's an important word because worthy is in in our passage in these 10 verses that shows up two times. And each time, interestingly, in the Greek, it's actually a different word. So two different people use it. The first time is when the Jewish elders come to the centurion and they say, this centurion is worthy for you to heal him. And when they use that word, it's a word that means in comparison with something else. So in comparison with, with whatever else, he's worthy. The second time is when the centurion sends his friends and says, I'm not worthy. And when he says it, that's, it's an objective word. To be enough, to be sufficient, to be good enough in and of yourself. We'll see how these kind of work out, why it's important. The first thing is, it's, it's how you understand worthiness. And the Jewish elders that come to him at first, they understood it based on merit. So they come and they like this guy, right? The centurions were ruling over, over Israel. They couldn't just do what they wanted. But this guy was a good guy. He said he loves our faith. He loves our people. He even helped us build the synagogue. The synagogue is like their church. So this Roman official is helping them do these things. He's done all these good things, Jesus. He is worth it for you to heal his servant. He deserves this. You see what their understanding of how somebody has deserved it? It's based on his works. It's based on because he's done enough good things. Now, somehow, they seem to think that Jesus owes him. 
And what's really bad is these are the elders. They should know better. But in their actions and what they say to Jesus, they're betraying that they don't really understand their own sinfulness. They don't understand what true righteousness is. They don't understand what true worthiness is. They're comparing him with everybody else. Compared to all the other centurions, Jesus, this is a good guy. You should heal his servant. But the centurion has a better understanding. This outsider has a better understanding. Because as Jesus is going to heal his servant, he's going to go show compassion to this centurion. As he's going, this other group comes up. And I got to assume that somewhere along the line, he heard uh, that Jesus is coming. And I don't know if he heard what the elders had said. And he's thinking, oh, no, no, no. I don't want Jesus to think that I said that. So he sends his friends and says, look, I know who you are. I understand your authority. And I understand that you don't owe me anything. I'm not worthy for you to even come to my house, but just say the word. And I trust you, and I know that my servant will be healed. When he uses that word, it's the second word. It's the objective word. He's saying, I understand that I and myself am not worth it for you to do anything for me. I'm a sinner. Compared with Jesus, compared with perfection, I am nothing. Church, he probably was a really good guy. He probably was a really likable and influential centurion. But he gets that that doesn't matter. That's not enough. It's not enough just to be a little bit better than somebody else. When the comparison, when the standard is perfection. I don't know if you've ever gone through one of those phases. I believe all of us kind of want to be, we want to be healthier, right? You want to be in better shape. And you go through a phase where you work out, you eat right for a couple of weeks. I've been there where I do it, for, do it pretty well for a while, and I can stand in the mirror and look at my triceps, and I'm thinking, I'm doing all right. This is good. Then I go to the gym, and I see Josh there. I'm like, oh, man, I got a long way to go. <laughs> but then he looks at the next guy. There's still somebody else to compare to. And then that guy looks to the next guy because there's always further to go. But we're not comparing to each other. We're comparing to perfection. We're comparing to Jesus, the one who is actually worthy, the one who actually has no flaws. And when we look at that as our comparison, then we should drop to our knees and recognize that there is no hope for us in ourselves. But praise God that the one who is worthy, the one who is perfect, has taken on all of our unworthiness and all of our imperfections and made us his. We're worthy not because of ourselves, but we're made worthy because of the one who is, because of Jesus, because he's shown us grace and compassion. The point here is not to beat us all up and make us think how much we're the scum of the earth, but it's important that we recognize that we are. If we think we've got something in ourselves, it's going to lead to all sorts of error. If we compare ourselves the wrong way, you compare yourself to your neighbor, to the person sitting in the pew next to you, you're going to think that, ah, maybe I can do it. I just work a little harder. But if you compare yourself to Jesus, you compare yourself to perfection, you'll see just how much you need 
him, how much you need his grace and his authority. Church, we need to understand who Jesus is. We need to understand his authority, his perfection. We need to understand our own unworthiness in light of who he is. And then, then we respond based on that. See, I have to imagine that the the centurion tried all sorts of everything that he could do. He probably got doctors, he did the medicine, everything that's available to him to try and get his servant healed. And at that point, he could have said, look, I've done everything I can. There's nothing more that I can do. He could have just said, ah, what'll be, will be. He could have even said, God's in control. I'm just going to let it go and let happen what's going to happen. He could have been like, maybe some of the other centurions and said, well, I guess I'll just put out a new want ad for my next servant. He had all sorts of options, but he chose to do the thing that he should do because he understood who Jesus was and he understood how much he needed Jesus. So what did he do? What was his response? Well, he actually asked for help. He sent these Jewish elders to go ask Jesus, would you please heal my servant? Not in a sheepish way, not in a kind of like, mention it in passing. Oh, if you happen to think of it, Jesus, my servant's sick, and I don't like that. Or if you get around to it, if you feel like it. No, he boldly asked for Jesus to heal his servant. Why? Because he understood that Jesus was the one who could. Jesus was the one who had the authority to make that decision. So he went and asked. A lot of times we don't ask. We do believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that God has laid out everything according to his plan and things are going to work out according to the way that he has planned. But if that belief causes us to not ask God for the things that we need, then we're proving that we don't really understand his compassion and his love for us. We may have gotten one part of our theology right, but not all of it. If we went through all the scriptures where we're told to ask, where we're told to bring our needs and our cares and our concerns to Jesus, we could be here all morning because it's all throughout scripture. We're told to ask. We're told to ask because Jesus is the one who actually has the authority to do the things we ask for. So we ask Jesus to save our loved ones who don't yet know him because he has the authority and the ability to do it. We ask him to heal us. We ask him to heal our loved ones because he has the authority and the ability to do it. We ask him to sanctify us and to help us to put our sin to death because he is the one who actually has the authority and the ability to do it. To ask somebody who doesn't have that authority would be foolish. Not to ask the one who does is even more foolish, church. The centurion got it. He understood Jesus' authority and he asked. It changed how he lived. And then the centurion had faith. He had faith in Jesus' response. This passage is one of only two places in Scripture where we're told that Jesus marveled. He marveled at the centurion's faith. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. When he's talking about Israel, he's talking about the people who know him. They've been in the word. They understand 
who God is, or at least they should. It's like he's talking to the church. In the church, I haven't seen this kind of faith that I'm seeing from this outsider because he had faith in in who Jesus was and he trusted him. He asked and he waited. He knew that Jesus had the authority to make that decision. And he believed that Jesus was good and compassionate. So do we believe that? Do we believe it like the centurion did? The answer when we ask is not always going to be yes in the way that we want it. We think we know what's best. We think we know what Jesus should do in any given instance, so we ask for that. And we should ask boldly. We should ask for healing. We should ask for forgiveness. We should ask for salvation for our loved ones. But then we trust, knowing that Jesus is the one who knows best, and he has the authority to make those decisions. Even if we're not healed immediately in the way that we think we should be, we will be healed in eternity, and that is far better. And we don't know what lessons Jesus is teaching us through those difficulties. It's how it is with every situation. We have to trust him. He's good and compassionate. He cares for his people. So we ask and we trust him. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that all the promises of God find their yes in him. That doesn't mean that everything you ask is going to be, yep, I'm going to do it the way you want it. But it does mean that everything that God has promised, that we will one day be freed from sin, that we will be sanctified, that we'll be made more like Jesus, that he cares for us, all of those things, that he'll provide for us. It means that he will do those things so we can ask confidently, knowing who he is. We can ask knowing that he does those things in spite of, of our sinfulness and our unworthiness, not because he owes us. You know what Jesus owes us? Judgment. He's the righteous and perfect judge. That's what he owes us. But because of his compassion, because of his grace and mercy, he lavishes those good things on us and gives us the good gifts that we don't deserve. Told that Jesus marveled at the face of the centurion. And as he did that, he turned to the crowd and he told them all, those, those people who had been with him for a while, who they've been listening, he says, Look, all you, you church, you people who know better, who have been with me, even amongst all of you, I haven't seen faith like this man because who he believes me to be has changed how he lives. It's changed his actions. He's done something about it. He's put his faith in me. And I have to believe in that moment that they all did a little bit of introspection. They thought, do I have faith like that? Do I really believe in this man and in his authority that's standing before me like that? And that same question should trickle down to us hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, We can still learn from this centurion. We should ask ourselves, do I really understand the power and the authority of Jesus? That it extends to every area of my life. Do I really understand that I'm unworthy on my own? Do I understand that Jesus doesn't owe me anything, no matter how much better I might be than the next person? In comparison with perfection, I am nothing. Do I really believe in his mercy and his compassion 
and that he loves his people and that he cares for his people? Do you believe that he is some sort of meanie who's just out to get you? Because he's not. He cares for his people. Church, we need to understand who Jesus is. We need to understand who we are, and then we need to respond appropriately. And we're going to do that imperfectly. We're going to mess it up. I would wager that most of us have heard this story probably quite a few times. I got a song stuck in my head from when I was a kid over and over and over again this week about this story. Like, we know this story. It's familiar. But it's good for us to keep coming back to this and be reminded that we should trust him. We should aim to know who he is. If we don't fully get it, pray, seek him, ask him to help you trust him. Ask him to give you that faith like the centurion had. He's faithful to do that. All of the promises of God are yes in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again for this morning. We thank you for these stories that you've told in your word of of the things that you did while you were on this earth, of the way that you taught people, of the way that you uh, worked these things out according to your sovereignty so that we could learn from them, so that we can see how you want us to behave, how you want us to uh, respond to who you are. So Lord, I pray that you'd help this to sink in that you'd help us to understand your power and authority, that you'd help us to understand our desperate need for you. And Lord, help us to respond in every area of our life, whatever it is, in a way that pleases you, in a way that shows that we really do understand. Lord, help us in our weakness. Make us the people that you have called us to be, that you desire for us to be. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.